The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod, the recession predictor. Maybe. Five for five is kind of like 100%, though. The inverted yield curve, is it a soothsayer? 24 months from now, we could be through three more pandemics, a couple more world wars. We won't even remember what, uh, what actually caused it. Cincinnati could win the Super Bowl and Rutgers could win the NCAA title and all that time. No, no. And cautiously optimistic former FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb with the latest on COVID after two years of pandemic. Once we're out of the pandemic phase, and I think we're getting out of it, this is going to become a more seasonal virus. It's probably going to be around in the fall and the winter. And a vaccine that protects you for six or eight months is going to probably be just fine. Plus, the breakfast that Wall Street and regulators can't stop talking about. It came a few days before the major Microsoft Activision Blizzard deal was announced. What if, you know, they're talking? I don't what is there body language? Is there anything that would end someone could surmise that something was going on? It's Friday. No April Fools there. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's news of a scary thing that happened after the closing bell Thursday, the yield curve inversion. I want you to take a look at that right there. It's the 210 spread as we are on inversion watch. And we're pretty I'm showing here that we did have a minus 0.1 inversion here. But you've never had a recession without an inversion of this part of the yield curve. It also should be- For the first time since 2019, before the pandemic and its shocks to the global economy, the two-year and 10-year bond yields inverted. The rate of the shorter-term two-year note was higher than the longer-term 10-year. And a move like this typically means a recession could be coming. Here's an example of how this works in the financial world. The yield curve measures the spread between a bank's cost of money versus what it will make by lending it out or investing. If banks can't make money, lending slows down, bringing a lot of economic activity with it. This nerdy move on a chart that we're obsessed with suggests that markets are looking at the Federal Reserve's moves this year, the slow increase of interest rates, and thinking it might be too much too soon. Rates too high too quickly could require an easing. Joe, Becky, and Andrew talked about this a lot on today's Squawk Box TV broadcast. Andrew? Man, we want to speak to you this morning. Mr. Leisman, what say you? And CNBC's senior economics reporter, Steve Leisman, broke down what's so scary about a yield curve inversion. Recessions follow inversions anywhere from six months to two years later, so start your clocks now. I'll hand it back now to Andrew. Is there any time in history, by the way, where there's been the inversion and then we haven't had a recession? I mean, how many examples are there of the recession? How many examples without? So the 210 is four. Well, it depends on how far you want to go back. I've got in front of me from 1980. 
Uh, it's it's uh, five for five. Hold on, I'm going to count it. And the, the, the three-month, two-year gave off a, a false signal. One, two, three, four, five. It's actually six for six on the 210. Uh, it, it, it turns, by the way, it, it tends to turn negative for a little bit longer than we had yesterday. Yesterday, I believe it was 442 in 10 seconds, and it was there for like five minutes or something like that. Um, the, the 210 is, is, is really five for five. I guess it gave off one false signal uh, maybe in the middle of the 90s there. Uh, the three-month, two-year, again, you're right. It, it ends up being closer to the recession, but there was one false positive in there. I hate talking about it like COVID, but okay, I guess well, like that's the way you Like five for five is kind of like 100%, though, right? Unless it's six or unless Yeah, it's it depends on six. how you measure the 95 one. It's pretty good. It's pretty good, Andrew. Yeah. But it can be 24 months, can it, Steve? I mean, it, 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 I'm trying to figure out. Yes, it can, Joe. I'm trying to figure out. 24 months from now, we could be through three more pandemics, a couple more world wars. We'll look back. We won't even. We won't even remember what what, uh, what actually caused it. Cincinnati yeah. could win the Cincinnati could win the Super Bowl, and Rutgers no, could win no. the NCAA title and all that. Time, time dilation hey, doesn't. Hey, hey. Time dilation doesn't doesn't apply to the Bengals. Uh, I I don't think. <laughs> um, but but here's what's interesting, guys. Just just to be clear on the five for six. I mean, I don't know. Maybe we were headed for recession without COVID, but but it's worth pointing out that it did go negative several okay. months before COVID hit and before that very brief recession that's now chronicled in the record here. Um, I, 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 I guess I'm just skeptical, guys. I'm very skeptical for what it's worth, you know, that there's some fundamental thing out there that a derived spread from two different yields somehow foretells the future. And you're right, Joe, up to 23 months is the longest uh, that it sometimes gives that false positive. It gives that get warning ahead of time. We don't know which rates mean anything anymore. That's a great point. It's a great point. But the look, the, the premise of it is that short term rates are going up because the Fed's going to hike rates, long term rates, longer term rates are going not up as quickly or they're coming down because we worry about what the after effects are. You worry about the idea of a soft landing and whether the Fed can pull that off. That that makes sense. I, I don't know if you can look at it and set your watch and say, OK, this means game on. None of us want a recession. So we're all making excuses for why this time is different. Maybe, you know, five out of six is pretty uh, pretty good, but. but the other thing that we have mentioned several times is that a recession is not necessarily the recession you're thinking of from the Great Recession or anything like that. It just means two quarters in a row of. Well, I don't uh, even know if it means that anymore. Right. Right. They, they, they have different meanings for, uh, for what it. Well, it works. actually never it never meant that. Really, never but meant that because it's one of those. No, no, the recession is not two quarters. The recession is when the NBER, the National Bureau of Economic Research, says it's a recession, and they look at all these different indicators, and everybody thinks they have this official definition, but, but it's not really I thought that the was. If we go definition. negative GDP but, for two quarters, that's not a recession. And then we're always out of it no, by the time they say we were no, in it. I mean, usually, Becky, I, I think you're going to think I'm being pedantic, but usually that is the case. Yeah. But that is not the criteria. And if you don't believe me, go to the NBER website the and they'll explain to you the what only a recession ones who is. Can, they're the only ones who can declare it? They're the ones. That's it. They're it. They're they made it. themselves. And the National Bureau of Economic Research. and emperors. By the time they do it, we're out of it. It's like, oh, yeah. We may or may not, you know. Yeah. And, 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 and what's worthwhile talking about is mostly they do it for academic reasons. And I, I mean academic as in not academic as in not, uh, not meaningful. 
They do, they do it. They do it so we can go back and look at what happened to a, you know, in a recession, what happened leading up to the recession. So we go back and study the economy. That's why they do it later. They don't do it for us. If they did it for us, they would meet every day and give us a ruling every day because, you know, that's what investors want to know. But one more thing I just want to say on the three month, two year, if you guys could put it up again. What makes sense to me is that is the time frame we're talking about. We want to know what's going to happen the next couple of years, because talking about a recession three or four years from now is meaningless, almost meaningless to talk about it two years from now. But right now, traders are trying to figure out what's going to happen two years from now and what's going to happen three months from now. And that spread to me is and that's the reason why economists think it provides more information. It's within the time frame that you're talking about. That's a great line. Ned. If you sneeze. Doesn't mean you have a cold, but if you have a cold, you're probably going to sneeze. Yeah. <laughs> Activision Blizzard and its CEO and some media moguls are under scrutiny this morning. The Wall Street Journal reports that authorities are looking into a meeting between Activision CEO Bobby Kotick and Barry Diller's stepson, Alex von Furstenberg. The two met in the week before von Furstenberg. Diller and David Geffen all bought Activision options on January 14th. In an email to the journal, Barry Diller wrote, we had zero knowledge of that transaction and it belies credulity to think that if we did, we would have proceeded. It's equally unlikely to believe Mr. Kodak, a sophisticated professional, in a social breakfast with Mr. Von Furstenberg and his wife would have told them of the pending transaction. He reiterated his assertion that the trade was a simple coincidence and said, I did not wait until I was 80 to participate in so obvious a fraud. Separately, a group of senators now asking the FTC to review Microsoft's more than $68 billion bid to buy Activision Blizzard. According to The Wall Street Journal, Senators Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Cory Booker and Sheldon Whitehouse cite their concerns about consolidation in the tech industry for this request. The lawmakers also said that they're concerned the deal could hurt efforts to hold Activision management accountable for widespread allegations of abuse, sexual harassment and discrimination. I happen to believe uh, Barry Diller and Alex and David, but I was going to say in the context of GameStop, I can't imagine if the SEC started to actually investigate all the trading <laughs> that was done during that period, I, I don't even know what they'd find. It with GameStop. Uh, you mean a com totally separate issue, no, nothing to do with Microsoft Activision. A totally, yeah, that's what Totally separate. I'm just, I'm just suggesting that I would think that there's, there's, there's right. just as much, if not more, quote-unquote, suspicious trading activity well, in that, that space. It goes back to whether Reddit was, you know, if everybody's ganging up on Reddit, whether that's some type of, you know, we, we, are, we had those, when did we have those discussions? They, like 18 have, months ago. Did they have inside information, though? That, it, it, Reddit. On, yeah, on Reddit? Yeah. That's the, right. If that's they're the all going to do something, is that inside? Just because you're ganging up and saying we're all going to do this. I don't know. I have no idea what went on at that lunch, but I don't know what constitutes really. I think it was a breakfast. A breakfast. Yeah. I don't know what constitutes, a social breakfast. I don't know what constitutes. What if, you know, they're talking and, uh, they say, well, you know, Activision, a year from now, Bobby, we'll see if everything's okay. And what if he goes, you know, what if, yeah, I don't, what, is there body language? Is, is there anything that would, end, someone could surmise that something well, was going I, on look, to I, figure I would it say out? If you, if, you looked at the trading, really, if you looked at the chart heading into that. It was already headed up? Well, no, if you, if you looked at how much the stock was down, it would not be an unreasonable right. assumption to have thought that something was going to happen here, that somebody would step in because the stock lost so much value heading right. into that. I, take a longer term chart than this so that you can see where the stock was before. If you're looking right. at that incredible slide and dip, 
it would not and be crazy to say that this little. is a great property. And it, it would shock me to think that there's not going to be somebody that steps in or somebody that tries to do something. I don't think that's a crazy assumption, even if you're not right. talking to but anybody involved. But just those three, it all, it, I mean, it all looks crazy. It looks, it looks weird, but, but who knows but what I, really went on. when Barry says that, I believe him. I don't right. know what happened at the breakfast, but when Barry says that, okay, I've known Barry for long enough that, yeah, I, I don't think well, he's going to lie about be, that, and I don't think he's going to do something that crazy or stupid. He would have to be uh, crazy. There's, there's no doubt. But what, so what would they be looking at now, Sorkin? They, what, what if it was, uh, I myself have never heard the term burner phone, but what if they were using uh, burner phones or something? Uh, what would the SEC look at? Emails? They, they would look at everything, right? They, with, uh, well, and, and one of the things that's happening in this instance is, is Barry and David and Alex are turning over all of their, I everything. believe, yeah. emails and texts and the like. And, and, and Barry's been quite public. It says that it, that he believes that all of that basically will show the story in a very sort of clear way that this was an idea, I believe, that originally emanated, or at least the, the, the narrative is that it was emanated from, from, from David, from David uh, Geffen, who, who had an idea that it could become a takeover target or potentially a company that would get taken private. That was, by the way, a rumor that was in the, in the ether, if you will. There was a lot of speculation during that period that, that was something that would happen. So I think they're going to look at that and then they're going to obviously place that against this meal. I imagine if everybody that was at this meal testifies that nothing was said at this meal, then I think it becomes a harder case. I don't know. I think the other piece of this, though, and it raises and I, it's, this is a question I've thought about for a very long time. You know, private investors meet with CEOs all the time. Uh, at conferences, at all sorts of events. And we, we've sort of created this whole system where uh, there's supposed to be, you know, fair disclosure across the board. Should there be blackout periods? Should there not be blackout periods? I can't tell you how many times people go to some event, meet with somebody, and a day later, they, they like the meeting. Now, the question but, is, what happened at the meeting? this wasn't a meet. I mean, this was a right? social setting. Are you, is, well, in a no, blackout no, period, does that mean you can't meet with anybody who would well, potentially be an investor who might trade? It's train? an interesting I mean, that's, question. That, it's that's an interesting a little question insane. Because like, you'd you avoid the point lockdown. Well, the point is that you'd avoid the, you, you'd avoid any, to the extent that you're anxious or nervous about optics and you want a system that everybody believes is completely and utterly credible, that nobody believes is based on insiders and, and, and friends talking to each other. I mean, if, if, I, if, I, mean if I think that's impossible to, to police. And by the way, and by the way, if, if you need to do that is, when you, you know that, that there's a transaction there, you, you suddenly shut down your social schedule. I think that would be a bigger hint coming to anybody than anything else. So all of a sudden, I can't go to that lunch I was planning on. I'm not going to be able to meet you for dinner on Friday night. That would be well, what is it? Do you have COVID or are you about to get bought? Look, you're raising all sorts of interesting issues, Bex. I don't know if it I don't know if it's incumbent upon the CEO to shut down whatever they're doing. I don't know if it's incumbent upon the friend to say, you know what, I was just at, I was just at a meal with so and so. If I if I buy their stock the next day, someone might raise questions. I mean, I think but these these are the sort of broader questions, obviously not specific to this particular incident. Yeah. Um, it was at some fancy, like, douchey place in L.A., too. Do you know which restaurant it was? Uh, and I was just wondering. Uh, I remember the great Steve Martin where, you know, where you're being interviewed whether you're actually allowed to eat at the L.A. restaurant. What were you going to order? And he's like, the duck? And go, oh, no, no, no. No, no, no. Chicken for you. Do you know what restaurant it was? It was some cool place, supposedly, Andrew. Do you, know, you don't know? I don't know. I figured you would have the... You would have the, uh, I'm sure TMZ knows. I thought ARS would know. 
Next on Squawk Pod, what went wrong in China's fight against COVID? And what's going on here in the U.S.? Former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb. We expected a spike from B2. We expected a spike as we pulled back on the mitigation. We're seeing that right now. That spike isn't as dramatic as what I would have predicted maybe three or four weeks ago. I think that's a good sign. We'll be right back. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Up track, Q Andrew. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. China's biggest COVID lockdown in two years is underway in Shanghai with 16 million residents being tested. Joining us right now is Dr. Scott Gottlieb, former FDA commissioner and CNBC contributor. He also serves on the boards of Pfizer and Illumina. And Scott, the, the policy over there doesn't seem to be working. The question is whether it's worse than we even know. Well, I think it is worse than we know. There's some reporting in the Wall Street Journal today on an outbreak in some uh, old age facilities where they were seeing a lot of deaths. They were speculating that there were a lot of deaths in those facilities. The problem is that China um, hasn't used the time that they bought themselves over the last two years wisely in terms of getting a high percentage of their population vaccinated, particularly a high percentage of their elderly population. If you look at the city of Shanghai um, itself, only about half of the population over the age of 80 has been fully vaccinated. And if you look at the population as a whole, there's 50 million, 52 million people over the age of 65 inside China that haven't been vaccinated at all. And we do know that the vaccines that they deployed, because they didn't use the Western vaccines, they used um, vaccines that they manufactured themselves that were based on inactivated virus. Those vaccines have proven to be not as effective against this particular Omicron variant. So not only are they not vaccinating their older people, but the vaccines that they deployed aren't as effective at stopping the spread. So they do face more risk right now. And I think it's going to be hard to continue to contain the virus uh, in the city of Shanghai. It does look like it may have broken out in parts of that city. And one final point, remember, when you tell people to stay at home, you're not ending transmission. What you're doing is forcing transmission into the homes. So the virus is still spreading. Now it's spreading within those households where people are being confined together. I want to uh, pivot the conversation and bring it back domestically. Big fight happening in Washington, as you know, over funding for COVID. The White House has one position. It's unclear really where things are going to land even at this point. How much money do you think we should be spending to get prepared and, and to continue funding or not uh, where we are? 
Yeah, it looks like there's a compromise around $10 billion, which should be enough to fund the procurement of vaccines going into the fall and the continued procurement of the therapeutics, both the monoclonal antibodies as well as the small molecule drugs. These markets can be trans- transitioned to normal commercial distribution. They get, just can't be transitioned abruptly. So I think if Congress ultimately wants to step back from funding the vaccine distribution in particular, they need to give a signal to the market that that's their intention and give a time frame in which they're going to do that. It takes at least 90 days for insurers to get coverage in place. And the other challenge here is that some of these products are still under an emergency use authorization. And so long as they're under an EUA, they can't be procured by Medicare Part D or by Part B. It would be difficult for Medicare Part B to procure them as well. So they need to be fully approved. And so some of the monoclonal antibodies, some of the vaccines, uh, particularly for younger kids, are still under an emergency use authorization, as well as the small molecule drugs. So I think in time, they can step back and transition these markets to normal commercial distribution and get out of the business of buying and distributing these products. They just need to um, articulate what the time frame is to do that. And FDA does need to step in and fully approve these products at some point. Doctor, if, if the funding is half of what we're talking about now, what does it mean for testing? You've talked a lot about some of these drugs working best or even working only, uh, you know, if you can get there early, meaning you need to test often. Uh, what does it mean for some of these vaccines and monoclonals in terms of just speed to market, what the fall and winter ultimately look like? Yeah, look, the, the money that got cut. So there's speculation is there's a compromise around $10 billion. There had been a request for $15 billion. A lot of the cuts, the difference between the $15 billion that was requested and $10 billion that may get authorized is money that would have gone towards global distribution of vaccines. But the bottom line is right now there are literally hundreds of millions of doses available for global distribution that aren't being pulled down by other countries because countries don't have the demand for vaccines. They don't have the ability, the distribution in place to uh, make those vaccines available to their population. So it's not a supply issue anymore in the global vaccine issue. It's more of an on-the-ground distribution demand issue. So the money that's not going to get appropriated probably wouldn't have been used immediately anyway. In terms of the longer-term picture, you know, the, the administration set forth in its budget and in its plan for pandemic planning a vision that they would continue to keep some of these production lines open, particularly around testing, where you'd continue to produce tests knowing that you're going to have to throw some away because the expiry date would come up on those tests. But they wanted to have a constant supply so that they didn't have a shortage in case there was another spike in in cases right around a period of time when there was going to be a spike in demand, like the holidays, like we had last Christmas. I think that they're not going to have as much money to do that continued production. And what you don't want is some of these markets to respond to normal supply and demand signals, where if their demand goes down, as it is right now, because cases are falling, some of the manufacturers of the diagnostic test pull back, start making less tests. And then as we go into the fall, demand picks up again. You don't have the testing available. Hey, Scott, I've worried about that a little bit, just the idea that we haven't learned from our mistakes. We haven't figured out how to manage this more than two years into this. I've also just wondered about how effective we are, how how well we know the numbers at this point. Um, I had COVID a few weeks ago. I tested at home. My numbers never got picked up by the health department. And I can't believe how many people I know at this point who have gotten COVID. Um, I just wonder if the cases are worse than we we think we are. And if that's something that led the CDC to go ahead and tell, to advise people over 50 to get that second booster shot. I mean, I was surprised that that they advised people over age 50 when it was more than the manufacturers were asking for, the drug makers. Um, the vaccine makers, and it was, you know, for younger ages than, than had been kind of there before. Do they, do they know something we don't? Do they suspect something we don't? 
Well, I don't know that they necessarily know something that we don't. I think we know that there's much more um, infection right now than what we're picking up. I wouldn't be surprised if ascertainment, the amount of infection that we're measuring is only one in five to one in six cases. You know, at the best point in this pandemic, we were maybe picking up one in three cases. You're right, we're picking up far less because most people are developing mild disease. And if they're testing at all, they're testing at home and they're not sick enough to present to a physician. They're not eligible for one of the therapeutics, so they see no need to go get a confirmatory PCR test. Plus, the at-home tests are pretty good. You look at some of the platforms we have at home, they're pretty good at picking up infection. So there's more infection than what we're measuring. When you look across the country, we're at eight cases per 100,000 people per day. We continue to go down. The one place in the country that's going up is the Northeast, New York metropolitan region, as well as New England. So cases are picking up in terms of what we're measuring. They're not going up dramatically. I think that, you know, we expected a spike from B2. We expected a spike as we pulled back on the mitigation. We're seeing that right now. That spike isn't as dramatic as what I would have predicted maybe three or four weeks ago. I think that's a good sign because the further we get into the spring and the summer without a major spike, hopefully we get out of the woods here and we don't see that major spike happening. In terms of the authorization, I think we're coming to the realization that this vaccine provides against Omicron. I mean, the picture was different against the other variants, but against Omicron is providing about six months of durable protection. And if you're a vulnerable American in an environment of continuous infection, which is what we were in with the pandemic, you want to stay continually protected if you're vulnerable to this infection. That's going to require you to get a booster every six months. Once we're out of the pandemic phase, and I think we're getting out of it, this is going to become a more seasonal virus. It's probably going to be around in the fall and the winter. And a vaccine that protects you for six or eight months is going to probably be just fine because the season for COVID will only last six or eight months. Remember, the flu vaccine only provides about six months of protection. We don't think about that because the flu season lasts about six months. So the vaccine protects us through the season. We don't worry about flu in the summertime. We don't worry about flu in the late spring. I hope COVID is falling into that pattern now where it's not going to be continuous spread, which is what it's been, but it's going to be more of a seasonal virus. I hope so, too. We just had flu in our household, and I got to tell you, that was worse than the COVID. Um, Dr. Gottlieb, thank you. Good to see you as always. Thanks a lot. Cheese will be next. Okay, Joe, you get your big moment after this commercial break to talk about your favorite topic because GameStop announcing plans for a stock split. Shares are jumping literally as we speak. We will bring you the details. I should say Joe is going to bring you the details since this is his story when we come right back. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Here's Joe Kernan. 
Shares of GameStop are soaring. The company is going to seek shareholder approval for an increase in the number of shares to enable a stock split. Uh, the request would increase the number of shares of common stock from 300 million to 1 billion. It's not clear how much of the increased share count would be used for the stock split. Uh, but GameStop said that the share increase could also be used to provide flexibility uh, for future uh, corporate needs. And Andrew, I was, you know, we've been talking, the only reason it's my story is because I was slated to read it and it got I moved. Know. So I, know, I, I, I demanded that I, it's You don't have a deep-rooted interest in this story? No, I'll tell Come you on, what I is... think is interesting about this. If most people would say that makes no sense for a stock to go up that much on a stock split because nothing changes. But compared yes. to what used to make GameStop go up, this is like the greatest reason. <laughs> this is the most fundamental reason the company's ever had to go up. So I get it. So I understand. It should be up 50% probably. You know what I mean? What? Why did it used to go up, Sorkin? I, I can't. You know I, I'm of the fascinated, dog food. The dog I, I don't even guy. have anything to say because yeah. the whole thing doesn't make any sense to me anymore. Right. But it stopped making sense about a year ago to me. Your Twitter, I know that I'm not, I'm not going to win points with our we'll audience. We'll get your Twitter morning. handle out there. There's a lot of people who are very happy about this. I'm at Squawk. Am I at Joe Squawk or at Squawk Joe? I think you're at Joe Squawk. That's I why think. I can never leave. All the fall by the wayside. What would I do without Twitter? This would be a good time to remind you to follow Joe on Twitter at Joe Squawk. You can also follow the handles at Becky Quick and at Andrew R. Sorkin. Plus, check out the show's feed that is at Squawk CNBC. You'll see video clips from our TV broadcast, news, and previews of this podcast. Follow Squawk Pod wherever you like to listen to podcasts and tell a friend about us too. Thank you for listening. We'll meet you back here on Monday. Have a great weekend. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.